So today, uh, we are going to continue our message series that we've been in, and it's about conflict, because conflict happens, doesn't it? It's part of life. Well, maybe it doesn't happen for you. It happens for me, at least. It's part of life. It, 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 and you know, I believe that God calls us to have conflicts in ways that are honoring to him, and I believe that we can do this. And today we're going to look at, at a conflict in the Bible that it was a heavyweight bout. It's a conflict between two of the leading, uh, the early Christian leaders, Peter and Paul. So if they're going to have a conflict, you know it's a big deal. You know it's not a small thing because God calls us to be a people who pick our battles, right? You know, I mean, hear me. You don't have to show up for every argument you're invited to. It's true. You actually can walk away from an argument. I know for some of you it may be a first time in life that you'd ever have done that, but it is possible. You don't have to show up for every battle. Many of you know this. In fact, if you own a cat, you know this, right? Because cats, I mean, just walk away, dog. I know you should have the big bed, but it's not worth it, right? It's just, it's not worth what's going to happen if you climb onto that bed, right? Not worth it. I mean, it's only biblical, right? Proverbs chapter 26 says, don't respond to the stupidity of a fool. You'll only look foolish yourself. Get in a fight with a fool, you're going to soon have two fools in the fight, okay? That's how it goes. You know who else knows about this? Parents of toddlers, right? They know how to pick their... You know what? Fine. Wear the purple goggles and the yellow pants. I don't even care. I can't, I can't do this today, right? We've been there. You got to pick, you got to pick your battles, friends. Think of one of your, your recent conflicts. Is this a battle that you would choose if you got to do it over again? Maybe it was. And you say, yeah, thank God. I'm glad I addressed that. Or maybe, I bet we all have done this sometimes, look back and say, Ugh, that was not one that I should have gotten into. <laughs> that was foolish. It wasn't something the Lord was calling me to. Now, Peter and Paul, are, they're going to they're gonna tangle here, uh, but before they do, I, I need to give you a little bit of a backstory, okay? Because uh, there's a name called Cephas that you're going to see in the, in the text that you may not be familiar with. It's actually another name for Peter. Peter, remember, is a name that Jesus had given this man, and it means rock, because Peter is the rock on whom the church was built. And so... He's called Peter, which was a very complimentary name. It was much better than his first name, Simon, which actually means angry guy with a cool accent. <laughs> did, bet you didn't know that one, did you? I've been working hard at my Greek lately, I promise. So Peter is also known as Rock. Uh, Peter is the Greek name, but they spoke a language called Aramaic. And in Aramaic, the word for rock is Cephas. So Peter, Cephas, rock, all the same name, all the same guy, okay? Verse 11, when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. This is serious business. It really is. Now, we need to understand that this doesn't mean that Paul was rude to him. When it says he confronted him to his face, that sounds rude to us, but what the text is saying is, that it was direct. Paul didn't go around and gossip to all the other people. Hey, do you know what Peter's doing? No. He went straight to Peter 
and he talked to him. It's a good example for us. But these words, he stood condemned, that's pretty harsh. Past tense, uh, meaning it's happened already, not that Paul himself was condemning, but that Peter already stood condemned because of his actions. The original language, the word, it refers to someone who has been tried, convicted, and sentenced for a crime. It's a big deal. It's basically saying that God has already condemned Peter's actions. Wow. So we say, okay, so what in the world happened? What did you do, Peter? Verse 12. For certain men came from James, who, and, or excuse me, before certain men came from James, Peter used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. Circumcision group. It's kind of a, kind of a strange branding, don't you think? Do you think they got jerseys or something like that? I, I don't know. Regardless, the, the other Jews joined him in, this, in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. Oh, not Barnabas, right? Do you remember his name? It means son of encouragement, right? Barnabas is the guy when he sends you a text, it's got like two thumbs up and the smiling emoji, right? You know, like even Barnabas, the happy guy, is being led astray by Peter's actions. So Paul says, when I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, you are a Jew, Yet you live, like, you live like a Gentile, not a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? Now, at first glance, this whole thing may not seem like a big deal to us. It may sound more like a, a junior high lunch table disagreement, right? You know, who sits by who, who's friends with who. But trust me, it's a lot bigger than that, as we're going to see. Because here's the backstory. You see, Peter and Paul were called to different kinds of, of missions. Peter was predominantly there in, in Jerusalem, which was a church made up of Christians who were formerly Jews, like Peter himself. So most of them uh, had grown up this way, so they tended to continue to follow the Jewish law. And, and, and what this would mean is there was two components of the Jewish law. We kind of put it in two big categories. The first one is the moral law, like the Ten Commandments, right? Things like thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not lie, all these kind of things. They are timeless. They apply to people in every culture, every background, all that. These are moral standards. They're not compromised. But there was another section of the law that was the ceremonial law. And this is about all the things that would set the Jews apart from other nations. They had certain codes about what they would eat, how they would dress, how they would do their hair, no tattoos, all these kind of things, right? Like they had certain things. And, and these were specifically for the Jewish folks. And we believe that when Jesus came, he himself was the fulfillment of that law. So that means that it didn't have to be lived out in the same way. And that's where we have the freedoms that we have today from that. Because we believe that Jesus fulfilled all of these things. Peter knew this. In fact, 
Peter had wrestled with this, and God had given him a special vision one time that showed it was like this, this sheet full of unclean animals, right? That he wasn't supposed to eat, and God says, kill and eat. And Peter's like, I'm not falling for that one, right? These are unclean animals. And God says, what I have called clean, you best not call unclean. And showed Peter that this gospel, it wasn't just for the Jewish people, it's for everybody. It's for the whole world. That's why Jesus came. He gave his life for everybody. Jesus himself even said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to everybody. So so Peter knew this. He had personal experience with this. So what's up with his behavior? Well, he compromised, didn't he? See, these, these folks came from James, probably folks from the Jewish church, we would, we would assume, although we don't know for sure. And Peter had been there in Antioch at this church, and things had been cool. Everybody's eating together. We're good. No problems. Paul, Peter, the, the believers, we're, we're fine. But then when these Jews come, Peter begins to get a little nervous. Maybe they kind of, you know, were looking at him sideways, like, Peter, what are you doing? Why are you eating with these Gentiles? They don't eat the right stuff. You're, you're, you're better than that, man. You shouldn't be doing that. So for whatever reason, Peter is kind of feeling the heat. And so he kind of backs off a little bit from this, right? And, and I don't know fully, I don't understand fully the reasons, but he did. He compromised that which he knew to be true. He should have confronted those folks to say, no, they don't have to eat like we eat. We've got this freedom. We can be different. If you want to eat that way, that's fine. But these guys, they're free from all of that. I mean, and, and we can understand what a challenge this would be. I mean, let's just think about it in our context. What if I stood up here today and I told you that in order to be a follower of Jesus, you have to obey all the ceremonial laws, which means in order to follow Jesus, you cannot eat bacon. Uh-oh. Some of us are having a crisis of faith right now, right? Like, oh, I, I love Jesus, but bacon is so good, right? You know, and, and Paul is like, look, I, I'm here to tell you that, that you can have both Jesus in your heart and bacon on your breath. We're ready for an altar call, aren't we, Danny? I mean, this has been a life-transforming experience here, right? It was a big deal. It was a big deal to them. This was not just a little confrontation. This was meaningful stuff. And Paul, he saw this was a big deal, and so he was willing to step in and to confront, to say to even Peter, Peter, you can't hold them to these standards. It's just not right. Stop being a hypocrite. You act like this when these guys aren't around, and now they show up, and you act differently. That's not who you're called to be. So we're going to learn just a few lessons about confrontation today, and we're actually going to learn them from Peter. Peter didn't handle it, right? So these are going to be some negative lessons, but sometimes we look at what we don't do. It helps us to understand better what we should do. Because Peter is, unfortunately, in this situation, an example of failure. So if you want to know how to fail at confrontation, just do what Peter did. First thing, compromise when you should confront. 
Peter knew in his heart that he should confront these Jews. He'd seen the vision. He'd been to the meeting where we all agreed that this is how we're going to allow the Gentiles to be. It's okay. It's of the Lord. And then he compromised. Look, this is not a hill that I'm going to die on. I'm just going to I'm just going to kind of step back from the Jewish fo- or the Gentile folks. I'm just going to do what, what, what seems convenient at the moment. That's what I'm going to do. That's not what God called him to. And those, that compromise probably seemed very small to Peter. But Paul saw the implications. That if they continued to do this, this was going to limit the mission of the gospel. This was going to limit the spread of the good news to the whole world. This was not a simple issue around food preferences. This is an issue uh, uh, about kingdom importance. It's an issue of kingdom importance. And that's why Paul's willing to address it. When you compromise where you should confront, you get into dangerous territory. Because big crashes start with small compromises. None of us set out to make some terrible decision that will wreck our lives. We don't. You, you don't. You're not like in like a good, happy, and healthy marriage, and one day you wake up and say, you know what, I should try an affair today. That would be great. No, you don't do that. It's a series of compromises. You begin to flirt with the person at the office. Not that big of a deal. Lots of people do that stuff, right? Or maybe for you it's a, a substance that, in your life that you're using and it's beginning to take over and and you know that but <laughs> you used to do a little the little wouldn't do so a little got more and more and you just keep on doing more and all of a sudden you realize you got a problem and it was a series of compromises along the way or maybe you know that God is calling you to be generous with financial resources but those dang Joneses keep getting better cars you know if you're going to keep up, you've got you to gotta buy something better, and that's going to limit your ability to be generous. Big crashes start with small compromises. Some of us, maybe we're heading towards one of those. And maybe the reason God has you here today is to tell you to wake up. It's time to confront this in your life. Maybe for others, we've got loved ones who are barreling towards a cliff somehow, and we know we're called to step in and speak the truth in love, but we haven't. We've been compromising instead. And I'm not talking about issues of personal opinion and preference, this kind of stuff. I'm talking about big deal issues, central issues, hill we will die on kind of issues, those kind of compromises. The second way that we fail at confrontations is if we make decisions out of fear. This is Peter. He was scared. What will they think of me? What will they do to me? What will they say about me? I'm just going to kind of back away from these Gentiles and, yeah, it may hurt them. Or maybe he didn't even think about that. But I'm just going to do this because I'm scared. Hear me clearly. When you make decisions out of fear, you will never arrive at the will of God. And I don't mean like healthy fear, like the kind of fear that keeps you from playing in traffic. I'm talking about the kind of fear that limits us obeying the will of God. This kind of fear that we know what God's calling us to do. We feel the nudge of the Holy Spirit in our heart and we say no because we are scared. How do I know this is true? It's biblical. 2 Timothy 1.7. 
God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. Peter got scared. He gave in to peer pressure, and Paul called him out on it. Is there something in your life that you know you need to confront? God's been talking to you about it, but you're scared to do it. Look, Satan's a liar. He'll tell you all sorts of things to keep you from taking that step that you know you're called to take. Don't listen to it. Take something that's just uh, pretty straightforward. Let's say that God's calling you to eat more healthy or exercise more, just something like that. And you know God's saying to do that, but you're saying, you know what? I don't know. And Satan is like, don't even try it. You screwed up before. Remember all those other times you failed? It'll just be embarrassing. Don't even try it again. And we listen to that fear in our lives for whatever the issue is that you're considering. What if instead we said, nope, not today, Satan. I'm going to live differently because God did not give me a spirit of fear and timidity. No, he's given me the power of his Holy Spirit. He's given me his love, and he's given me a spirit of self-discipline. And so I'm going to live in those things. What if you went into confrontation, healthy confrontation like that? You said, I'm going to go in the power of the Holy Spirit, asking God to be with me and to guide me. I'm going to go in love, so I'm not going to be mean and hateful or something like that. I'm going to speak the truth in love. And finally, I'm going to go with self-discipline. So I'm not going to get into this nonsensical escalation where we just zing things at each other worse and worse and worse and worse and cause hurt. I'm going to have discipline. I'm going to be different. You can do that by the power of the Holy Spirit. Third way we can fail is when we choose comfort when you should confront. Now, I like to be comfortable. You probably like to be comfortable. I'm not recommending that you need to go like sleep on rocks and eat grass or whatever. But the fact is that God's will will sometimes call you to places that are not comfortable in your life. God will move you outside of your comfort zone. It's part of how we grow in faith. You might say, yeah, I'm just, I'm not, I'm not comfortable with conflict and confrontation. Guess what? Most people aren't. Most of us aren't. In fact, people who love confrontation, eh, there's usually some other stuff going on there, right? It's not something that we usually seek out to love. But Jesus does not call you to be comfortable. He calls you to be holy. That's his call in your life. So yeah, there may be times you hear the will of God, you hear the call of God, and it feels a little uncomfortable. That doesn't mean it's not of the Lord. It may mean that it is exactly of the Lord. Sometimes we're called to get out of our comfort zone. And finally, number four, you fail at confrontation when you listen to the wrong people. You know, this is so easy to do. Because we've got so much coming at us, don't, us? We li- don't we? We live in this information age where there's voices all over that are speaking to you. And that's not all bad. But it means that we've got to have a discipline in our hearts. We've got to have a discipline to listen to the right voices, to let the primary things that we hear be the voices that are going to push us in God's direction. They're going to help us to follow the lead of the Holy Spirit, not take us otherwise. For many of us, it's, maybe it's not that we're listening to, to evil stuff, but, but we give other voices a higher priority in our life than we give to God. For example, 
I like you probably. I, I like the news. Politics interests me, right? You know, I have my opinions just like everybody else. But what it, it would be easy for us to get to a place, and maybe some of us are here, where we would be more likely to be called to action by our favorite political pundit than by Jesus. That's not good. That's not good. We're called to higher stuff than just that. Again, I'm not trying to dog on politics. I understand it's necessary, but what are the primary voices you're listening to? What are they challenging you to? Are these really hills that God would call you to die on? If so, thanks be to God. But are they issues of just somebody's personal preference? Issues of politics or issues of family preference or this, that, or the other? Then it's probably not worth it. What is it for you in your life? What are the hills you'd be willing to die on? Are there any? Because there should be. I mean, you only get one life, you know? And and I'm 41, I tend to assume I got a lot of years left, but the fact is, I'm just as vulnerable to get hit by the bus today as anybody else is. We don't have a guarantee of time. And I want to live for what matters. I want to stand up for what is truth. And as, as your pastor, I promise you, there's going to be times that you disagree with me. And that's okay. It's okay, because there's going to be times I make mistakes. Not that I set out to do it, but I will, I promise, just give me enough time. It happens. There may be times we disagree, you come and talk to me, and, and maybe I'll learn something from you and, and adjust, or maybe you'll learn something from me, or maybe we'll just say, yeah, we, we probably don't agree on that. That's okay. We can still be friends, or we can still be here and, and, and see that differently. But there are things that are central. There are things that I'll never compromise on. And you shouldn't either. These are truths that have been central to Christians for a long time. In fact, we're going we're gonna to say, did we say the Apostles' Creed earlier? Great, awesome. I thought we did, but I was over there, you know. I don't want to misspeak. So we said the Apostles' Creed, and I love it. I love the Apostles' Creed because it's been said by followers of Jesus for over 1,500 years. And these truths are so impactful and I know that when we say things, sometimes it may be easy just to kind of say them because somebody else is saying them, you know, you're expected to say them. But we're going to say it again here in a minute. And the reason is, even though we've already done it, because we are, these are truths that I believe to be central truths in our lives, truths that we as a church are founded on, and we always will be founded on. We've, they've been true for us for over 200 years. They're going to be true for us until Jesus comes back, okay? These are central these are the kind of things I want to stand up for. These are the kind of things that we will stand up for because they are central to who we are. So I invite you physically, would you stand up if you're able right now? We are going to say this together. And as we do, don't let it just be words. Let it be heartfelt, passionate things that these are central truths in our lives. For I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. On the third day, he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, 
the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. May it be so, God. May we never compromise the truth of your word. May we always be defined by these truths that you have given us. God, help us in our lives to pick our battles, to know what the central things are that we need to confront in our own lives and around us, and to do that with love, with your power, and with self-discipline. God, would you give us the courage to confront where needed and the, the wisdom to walk away when it's not needed. But most of all, Jesus, we just thank you that you came to give your life for us. What a sacrifice. What a gift. God, we give you thanks and praise this day. Lord, we love you and pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.